it's Martin Keelan here, and I'm at the. Uh, I'm not at the Hayes Conference. <laughs> I've forgotten where I am now. Didn't even know who you are. No, no. Uh, I'm I'm at the IPS conference in Bournemouth, and um, with me is my good friend John Otter, who in past conferences we've done podcasts from the bedroom, and we're doing exactly the same thing again. Uh, and yesterday, John gave a very nice talk about the use of language, and it, it, I'd say, "Isn't this a talk you've thought up yourself, or it, was it given to you?" And he said, "It was given to you, but it does make you think." But actually, you uh, had gone down the route of thinking about language some time ago, hadn't you? And you're, I don't know, you got the uh, "Can I swab your rectum, please?" But actually, yeah. that was probably what you got you thinking a little bit more about how we phrase things, wasn't it? So, yeah. could you go over that stuff? Yeah, it, it was. That stuck with me. So, we were doing a big study of um, carriage of antibody-resistant bacteria to guys in St. Thomas's in London. Mm. So we ended up enrolling more than 4,000 patients in a clinical trial. That wasn't the original plan. We'd hoped to do it as a service evaluation and do the sampling as part of routine practice. But actually, when we looked at what we were doing, it was an extra swab. It wasn't something the patient needed. It was for our research benefit. Okay. So we had to go down the, down the route of a full-blown research trial, which meant, meant we had to individually consent every patient. Hmm. So we gathered a whole team of, of staff on a fixed term contract to go out and start taking these rectal swabs. And I had the privilege of listening to quite a few of these interactions with patients. And the original message that we crafted for the patients was, well, we thought it was great <laughs> because, it, you know, we, we, th- we really thought about this message and how we were going to get the essence of the study and the importance of the study over to patients. We, we were talking about um, these carbapenemase producing Enterobacteriaceae in them days, Enterobacterialis now. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about how important it is for us to understand the, uh, the antibody resistance challenges facing the hospital. And um, enrollment in the study initially in the first few weeks was about 10%. Wow. And we were expecting definitely north of 50. So yeah. something was going wrong. So I observed some of these patient interactions with the patients. And you could, you could literally see the lights go out on the first syllable of carbapenemase. Yeah. We just were not connecting with these no. patients. The language we... we <laughs> Actually, we, probably the same thing would happen with an orthopedic surgeon as well, because well, they wouldn't have a clue what that is either. Well, so. and that, that is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It would apply on that level as well. But certainly with these patients that came into the hospital, you know, heads were spinning, many of them first time in hospital probably. And um, we, we were hitting them with this these big words and technical things about this research study. Oh, and by the way, can I swab your rectum as well? Yes. <laughs> like, so you're not going to do something that's particularly pleasant to them. Exactly. So yeah, they, it yeah. just wasn't working at all. So we went back to the drawing board and we we looked at the message that we were giving to the patients and we reframed it um, to be much simpler. So we stopped talking about the name of the organism, just talked in more general terms about antibody-resistant bacteria. And we tried to drive home the benefit for the patient i.e. it's a good thing for us to know whether you've got this antibody-resistant bacterium because if you get infected, we can treat you. Yeah. And it's also good for your peers. Yeah. So we tried to appeal to the, to the sense of community as well. Um, and that worked to treat. Compliance went from 10% to, I think it was more than 80% yeah. um, as a result of the intervention. Because everybody wants a what's in it for me, don't they? And you made yeah. a point, things have to be personal, don't yeah. they? And they have to be relevant to you. Yeah. And there wasn't a what's in it for me when you're just saying we need to swab your backside. Yeah. So, so you, I mean, that, the numbers went right up. Do you think they get antibiotic resistance and AMR? 
Because that's another thing, isn't it? We talk about AMR, we tweet about AMR. Anybody who looks at our tweets will be thinking, what on earth are they talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's some really nice qualitative data around this. And Martin, as you know... I I know you love qualitative data. As you know, qualitative data is not my strong suit. And to be honest, this talk put me so far out of my comfort zone, I couldn't even see my comfort zone um, because it was research that I'm not used to interpreting. And I have this awful habit when I'm looking at qualitative research of trying to make it quantitative. (laughs) <laughs> so I look, I look for where are, the, where are the numbers in the summary of this qualitative research, which, you know, it's not the point. We're trying to understand the why. Yeah. Um, not, not the detail of the, of the, of the numbers and percentages. So um, the, the, anyway, there's some great qualitative research on communication of antibody resistance. And when you ask the general public, what do you understand by things like AMR, uh, terms we use, even antibody resistance, it, it falls on deaf ears. It doesn't mean anything to people mm. um, in general. And more specifically, there, there's some really interesting ideas about antibiotic resistance, particularly, um, because the general public tend to think that antibiotic resistance is the person becoming resistant or somehow tolerant to the antibiotic and not the bacterium. Well, in some ways they are, because your bacteria are part of your microbiome, yeah. aren't they? But so yeah. maybe that's a message that can be tweaked in that way. They are part of you. Yeah. Rather than, you know, rather than these individual bugs floating around in the atmosphere that yeah. aren't part of me. Yeah. You know, because we are all our microbiome, aren't we? And maybe, yeah. maybe there's there's something in that that, that could be tweaked. But yeah. at the moment, you're right, they don't get it. That is a good point. And, and the other thing about resistance that's quite interesting is, I, and I didn't think about this at all until I came across this research done years ago, um, is that if you say something is resistant to something, the general public hear that and think, well, there's still some hope then. Yes. Because <laughs> if it's only resistance, then it's not completely not going to work. It might work. It might not. Yeah, my kids were resistant to doing the homework. Exactly, but they, but they did, it. did it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So mm. maybe we need to think about something a bit more definitive. And after this, the... the um, Sally Davies came out with the drugs don't work idea, yeah, which is I think taking that problem and making it much more definitive, much more simple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Because the same thing would apply to tolerance as well, yeah, it, really. And this is something that we've got to get comfortable in this space because the drugs don't work is not actually technically correct, is it? No, because they do work sometimes. They, yeah, they do. Work you've got combinations. You've got more into it. So it's oversimplified, and if we want to be really nerdy about it. But I think we have to get over ourselves slightly. Yeah, I, I always thought MRSA as a drug, as a bug that's more difficult to treat, wasn't a bad message. Yeah, you know, we may give you the antibiotic that doesn't work to start with. We may yeah. be able to then treat you, but the infection may have overwhelmed you in the meantime. Yeah, therefore, it's worth finding out if you if we would have to give you a different antibiotic early on. Yeah, in case we have to treat you because yeah. we don't want the infection to go out of control. Maybe that's a, a not, not a bad way. Sending yeah. the message. What about then talking to ourselves? Because I'm not always sure non-IPC folk and non-ID folk get AMR and, uh, and resistance. And how can we change our phrasing to them, do you think? I mean, do, do you think they really understand what resistance means and, and so that you have got no options for some cases? I think in some areas, non-ID micro-specialist type people get it yeah no intensive care yeah neonatal intensive yeah care. these people are almost, they are yeah that, that's the bread and butter though isn't it yeah. but i think your average nurse doctor in a ward in a you know you know busy high throughput area mm. probably don't think about it too much okay. until they really need to and then they're on the phone to get the answer from 
somebody else. I did my grand call. Yeah, and I mean, I quite like your your bit in your second talk. You had to give off the cuff, but the, you know, using an algorithm to actually say this is the antibody you should yeah. use. Yeah, that probably is going to help long term, isn't it? Yeah, because if yeah. all the information is there from coming from good systems, and especially if we start doing genomic work, you'll yeah. know exactly what you need to treat and actually individualized dosing. For people to make sure that you know, because everyone is different, and might be given a standard dose for a, a standard person, but not everybody processes the antibiotic in certain ways, depending on how you're taking it. Yeah, and, and that will probably be the future, won't it? The computers yeah. will run there. Yeah, subscribing. So, I agree with that, and it will help a lot with antimicrobial stewardship generally. Um, one of the things that that came across in in some of the reviews I did about public health messaging, so kind of one step removed from what we're doing in most of our hospitals, but relevant, I think was that consistency of messaging is really important if you're trying to get behaviour change in the public. Yeah. And I think that's that's a helpful concept for us to your question about how do we communicate within our hospitals and within our IPC community, but how do we interact with our non-IPC colleagues? If we're going out with messaging that is inconsistent, very, very quickly, the service loses credibility. Yeah. So I think it's it's vital that even if we don't completely 100% agree, having a consistency of language yeah. about a given issue is really important. Yeah. The droplet aerosol. Yeah. Transmission debate. Yeah. Um, all kinds of different terms flying around that mean different things to different people. Um, the debate gets even more confusing if we're using different terms to mean the same thing. Yeah, because we use droplet aerosol in a certain way, but a physicist will be thinking about it something completely different and the public think about it something completely different. So it's yeah. all a bit of a, a mismatch, isn't it? I think what we maybe have to do is when we're saying this is what we're talking about to actually give maybe a bit more of an exploration because, you know, healthcare workers like a what's in it for me as well, as well as the public yeah. do, don't they? Yeah, and, of course. Uh, okay. I mean, going on to then messaging to healthcare workers, you talked about how we give results can actually impact on care delivery. So yeah. could you talk about that paper? Yeah, there's a nice little study in Journal of Hospital Infection looking at changing the wording of a lab report around C. diff. Yeah, I mean, something you would just think it's just a lab report. Yeah. It's a result. And whoever had drafted this lab report had done a great job. It was perfect. It was technically, technically correct. And it, it got across the uncertainty with the laboratory diagnosis of C. diff, with the various tests that are done in, in series to get to a diagnosis, okay. which is sometimes a bit uncertain as to whether the C. diff is causing the infection. But the problem was that was being received as not a clear message. And I think if the, if the message from a, on a lab result isn't clear, then the receiver is likely to take the conservative option. Yeah. And that meant over-treatment, that meant over-isolation, which is not helping us at all. Right. So what they did was they simplified the lab message uh, and made it, you could even argue, less technically correct, but definitely much more straightforward. And they found that ultimately the, the treatment and the isolation decisions were better with the new, um, simpler message. Because presumably the person in the lab is a clinical scientist, therefore yeah. they want to get their answer, that what they're giving out, technically correct. Yeah, exactly. But we never say to people, how you know what would this mean to you? Yeah. And therefore, what would... Pr- what what triggers do you need to be able to act 
in a result. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and maybe in the background it says this is the correct result, but that's translated into this means something is actually going to make a change to patient practice. So I yeah. thought I thought that was quite a nice paper. It well. was good, and that's exactly what they did. They went out to their <coughs> users, their stakeholders, and they asked them, "What would you like this lab result to be, and how would it help you to make a decision?" I mean, how did they work out that the things were going wrong? Did they think, "Hang on a minute, we're, we're being we're over treating people here for the yeah. wrong thing"? Okay. Yeah, exactly. That. Did that come out of root cause analysis or something like I that? I don't know how how they came to it but okay yeah probably okay um you mentioned public health messaging as well vaccine uptake yeah i mean it's something dear to my heart i, I always think the best vaccine available is the one that's in my arm so. yeah and the public have had a lot of disinformation which spreads a lot faster than actual information doesn't yeah. it without you know without any particular foundation have you got any ideas about how you could if somebody is saying oh vaccines are all terrible and i believe the wakefield report from years ago yeah. how, how can we come across with that so i think it's it's back to the to the main theme that, that came through most of what i found is that if we make the message um personal and something that affects my world as it were yeah then we get much better traction and uptake yeah there was a really nice study in canada of um Quite, quite a big sample of thousands of adults and they trialled three different vaccine public health messages. This was for, for a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Um, one was about the efficacy of the vaccine in reducing transmission. One was about the ability of the vaccine to reduce the chance of personal death. Yeah, well, that's because that's the thing. People think if you get the vaccine, you don't get the infection at all, which isn't yeah. the case. Yeah. Is it? it exactly. means you can fight it off better. Exactly. But we don't always say that. So yeah. then people think, well, why bother? But actually, it's going to stop you dying is yeah. probably quite a reasonable message. Yeah, and what, and the third one was a mixture of the two. And what they found was that the message about efficacy, in fact, reduced vaccine uptake willingness. Wow, really? Whereas the one about it will reduce your chance of dying, that was the one that really landed with people in increased vaccine uptake. And the one with a bit of both didn't really change yeah. willingness to be vaccinated. It's like saying wear a seatbelt, isn't it? It's not going to stop you having an accident, but it's going to stop you dying yeah. in the in the crash. Yeah. You, yeah, know, exactly. you know, the airbag will will help. Yeah, you start still going to have sore ribs, but it's you know, yeah, okay. That's, I thought that was quite good. Um, social media, then. I mean, that's a minefield, isn't it? Yeah, it is because we can put a good message out, and a lot of people will jump on the negative aspects of that. Yeah, have you got any strategies for dealing with negative messaging on social media? Block. Mm. Um, it, I mean, it's a tool, isn't it? I, it and and it has a, a whole language of its own. And there's a bit of data about how we can get our messages out more effectively on Twitter by the things we tweet and the way we tweet them and, and probably true of other social media platforms. Well, I mean, look at TikTok. Enormous. I mean, clearly I don't do it because my hair colour and I can't dance. But the, <laughs> you know, the, the hand hygiene videos on that, Yeah, most of them are wrong. But the ones that get all the likes are the wrong ones. But as long as they've got music and humour, they yeah. get watched. And yeah. we don't tend to put out our messages in particularly that way. But people yeah. do look at them. I mean, I, I get to give a talk at Apsic. And these are getting billions of views. Yeah. And But influencers will go on and put on wrong information with the, with the best intention, actually, often. Yeah. And so my, my, my feeling is if, if something – we need to sort of copy – what is successful? And yeah. I'm not talking about getting Botox and uh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> get know. Martin on TikTok. No, no, but well, that's really not going to happen. But you know, there are there are people who could help us who work with social media and actually know how to, you know, r- relatively easily actually 
interact with thousands of people that yeah. we wouldn't actually want to get, you know, wouldn't be able to get a message to normally. So yeah. there's an opportunity there, but it's, it's the trolling is the issue for, for many, I think. Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, it, I, I do wonder whether there's anything is bad publicity in that sense. If the, if the detail is technically wrong, but you're getting lots of people talking about hand hygiene. Yes. Great. And it's the people, personal attacks, though, that's the difficult I, I, Of it? course. Yeah. 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 No, no, I mean, the vitriol, no thank you. No. But what I mean is a TikTok video where yeah. maybe some of the technical detail about how they're washing their hands is wrong. Yeah. I'm okay with that because people aren't going to it for education. They're going to it for fun. And just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and as long as you get the right message. I mean, I'm, I'm right, actually, but I'm probably because I've been in infection control for years. If I watch a video, my my sole reason for watching it often is to find all the wrong things, which is <laughs> yeah. which actually isn't coming from the right standpoint at all, you know, because yeah. I've seen plenty of videos of stuff going on in the hospital and you think, wrong, 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 wrong. But actually, if the overall thing is improving things, yeah. then maybe you just got to suck it out and go, do you know what, it's not perfect, but it's an improvement because yeah. the, the world really isn't right? yeah, perfect at all. Yeah. Last question then. I've always hated the word compliance. Yeah. Because if you look at it in the Thesaurus, it's all about subservience and doing what you're told. Yeah. Which I don't think is a good way for us to come across to our colleagues. Because yeah. I've you know, I've sort of come around to the view that we're we're at the we're the fire brigade, really. We're there to help people yeah. once they're in trouble. Yeah. Any ideas about how we could better phrase, you know, we're gonna say your ward is only sixty five percent compliant with hand hygiene. Yeah. That's really negative messaging, isn't it? Yeah. Which is a I mean, it is bad. <laughs> but any idea how we could yeah. rephrase it? I mean, first, I agree with you. I think compliance is, is the wrong message for us. It's mm. it feel it, you say compliance, you think of a clipboard and a tick and a pass and fail, and that's really not the kind of service I want us to have. I want us to have a, a service that builds relationships and supports, identifies areas of bad practice, and helps people to get it right. Um, I have thought about what would be a better word for compliance, and I can't. I've never really managed no, to come on a, no. on a perfect solution. Yeah. Maybe performance, but performance is is quite tainted as a word in a hospital because all of the clinical services have their performance reviews, and mm. that's never a fun thing. Mm. So I think performance is probably equally bad for for a different reason. Yeah. Um, what I, What do you think? I don't. I I had this idea um, of actually getting a composite score for an area. So then, like sixty five percent on hand hygiene. Well, even though they'll say they're ninety five percent, they're probably really twenty anyway. And you can deal with some other audits, and then you come up with this patient safety index. Okay. Yeah. Or a patient safety, you know, yes, yeah, some patient safety index, and your ward is you're hitting five, you know, three stars, two stars. Yeah. Because these are the areas where there are opportunities to improve your overall score. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing I actually thought the national cleaning standards, I've got many criticisms about it. It's not evidence-based. There's no literature review. But they did bring into the the actual overall score for the ward the nurse items to be cleaned. Mm. And if the nurse items aren't cleaned, then the overall ward score goes down. Whereas previously, is if the ward could be spotless, but the blood pressure cuff is filthy, you've yeah. still got a great overall score. Okay. Yeah. So actually, I, I, think a, I, I think a combined score for an area where you look at a number of things and you might weight hand hygiene a bit higher and you might weight the fact that everybody's got a urinary catheter in quite highly when in fact they probably don't need it. So you can look at device utilisation ratio. You can look at other commodes clean doing... We did random um, sampling with ATP just to see if the commode was actually physically clean. Uh, And then you come up with a composite sort of score. Uh, I think that's, that's possibly... That might make people think, actually, 
we're a lot lower than others. So where which areas can we improve in? Yeah. And then they might themselves work on that because I always found if you tell people you've got a problem, sort it out, they, they haven't got a problem because they didn't know they had a problem. So then they go through those five stages of grief of denial, bargaining, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas if you give them a, something for them to look at, they then go, we've got a problem here. Maybe we need some help. Yeah. And then you're offering to go in and work with them to help them in areas where they feel that they need to improve and they can pick what they might want to work on. So I wondered yeah. if that might work a little That's bit That's a good better. idea. That is a good idea. And maybe within that, you could have a hand hygiene patient safety score. Yes, something like that. You know, okay. because it is a it is a safety thing. Yeah. But saying compliance doesn't say safety. Yeah. It doesn't say health for staff or patients. Yeah. So I was just wondering about that. It'd be really good to get a focus group together yeah. of kind of a representative group of staff at various levels in the organisation. Just ask the question. I mean, how do we ask staff? How do you want your hand hygiene score? Yeah. You know, what, we- what what does it mean to you? Yeah. Because it means. Generally, most people think, I'm perfect. Everybody else must be letting us down. Yeah. But putting a 95% up, everyone thinks they're great anyway. Yeah. And that doesn't help. I don't think staff really believe that. No, I don't think they don't. I don't think anybody believes it. And the boards don't. So why why bother? You know, why even measure it? Yeah. What staff group monitors something basic in another staff group? And it makes you the police. I don't like it. No. No. Okay. Right. Thanks very much, John. Always a pleasure. Really fascinating chatting to a great talk yesterday. And thanks again for stepping into the breach with the second extra talk. So thanks, Martin. Cheers. Cheers.